I'm Austin from PopXCast, a pop culture podcast part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode 185 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we enhance your podcast setup. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we enhance your live stream options as we talk about an update to an app that we previously mentioned. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we share someone's status update for their one thing challenge from last year. Lauren, start the show now. We have a How I Save My Podcast audio story to get to. Welcome to Better Podcasting, a show where we talk about podcast tips, tools, and best practices to help you succeed with your podcast. What makes us different? Well, just like you, we podcast purely out of the love and fun of it. Podcasting is our hobby, and we recognize that it's yours too. We always encourage your questions and feedback, and you can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. Here's your host for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to episode 185 of Better Podcasting. You should know by now that I'm Stephen John Drew, and I also have my wonderful co-host, Stargate Pioneer here. Please call me SP, Stephen, and it is wonderful to be back here on another week after our two-part arc on episode zero and episode one. If you want to hear all about that, go back to episode 183 and 184. In the meantime, we have a full show for you tonight. And we also have a great How I Save My Podcast story. So, Stephen, let, let me frame this How I Save My Podcast story, okay? Frame away. All right. So, what we did here is we had somebody submit a How I Save My Podcast story. And they, like many of you, our listeners, depend on, or him, it's just a one-guy show, depend on guests for every show. And he was having trouble finding a guest for a show and he did not want to use a normal stand-in. He has some normal stand-ins. He didn't want to do that for this particular show. So this is the story of how he saved his show by actually getting a guest. Hey, Steven and SP and everybody watching and listening. This is Chris from Play Comics, and I'm here with a How I Saved My Podcast story. The main difference between my show and this one is that Steven and SP get to work with each other every single week all the time it's super consistent like that with my show i have a guest on every time which means that i have to go schedule with tons of different people i can't really have a super regular recording time because of the kind of people i'm trying to get gets really fun sometimes some weeks you record three or four episodes because that's when you can catch somebody big and you're not gonna let that go just because you're already recording with other people. And some weeks you just take advantage of the fact that you have a backlog. Well, the thing I did that almost ruined my podcast was that I, for a while, had had a pretty big backlog. And I wasn't doing a very good job at all of keeping track of how much I had left. I had a couple recordings with some people one week and legitimate life things came up to where, you know, I can't ask them to record. They need to go take care of their life. That's much more important than being on somebody else's podcast. But then I left myself with no episode. So I'm sitting here racking my brain. What can I do? Uh, I can't grab my wife for an episode because she's not going to be available either. I've done that before. That's why she's been on so many times. I can't go grab my usual kind of emergency guy because I'm already going to have him on the next episode. And I know that. And I don't want to have him on for two episodes in a row because my show is all about having guests and I just didn't want to do that. So the way I saved my podcast was that I have a group of, I want to say like four or five people to where I can call on them basically whenever and i can count on a few of them being able to be on my show 
it might not be the same ones all the time, but they know my topic well enough to be able to jump on for pretty much anything. And even if they only have like a day or a few hours to get ready, they know where to learn about the subject matter quickly enough to get on. Luckily for the one that inspired me to tell you all about this, I had a guy who really knew Superman stuff. So I was able to get him on the show. And then I had a show for that week, all because I planned ahead and save my podcast by having some go-to guests ready that I can get at basically a moment's notice. So that was Chris from Play Comics. It is a podcast on the guineageek.com network, but what he says is applicable to any podcast with guests. Make sure that you have somebody that you can go to in a pinch or be able to go off with a solo show on his own. As Chris mentioned, he didn't want to do that. That's not the premise of his show. So he was able to save his podcast by getting a actual guest at the last minute. I think that's awesome, Chris. And more people with podcasts like yours should probably do that. I mean, this is the same thing. I mean, if you take a look at news programs or talk late night talk shows, they always have somebody on standby to go ahead and be on the show in case they need them. And I think as a podcaster, if you're a hobby podcaster, if you haven't been doing this for very long, you need to start uh, getting that list together that backup list together so that you don't run into the same problem as he did. And also I would say, Chris, pay attention to how many episodes you got in the can, buddy. Yeah, I think that uh, you nailed it there. One of the reasons actually why I like to run the Gunna Geek Network is because it builds relationships between podcasters. And we've seen this happen before where we've had actually one member on the network come and say, hey, I need somebody to help stand in. and they end up um, having a bunch of people say, hey, I'd like to fill in and um, essentially do what happened there was was help save somebody's podcast. And so I'm really happy to have those sort of relationships on the network. And that's why I'm happy to help run the network. And so I, I think that it's great that you had your standby people there as well. And if you don't have relationships that you've built, a network, as long as it's the right fit for your personality, legally, all these other disclaimer things that we've talked about in the past, they can be a real big asset to help you build those relationships and sort of develop that pool of people as well. So I uh, I think that's great. Awesome to see that happen. And also, I have to say that Blondie was right again, because Blondie, what was it that Blondie said was, uh, call me on the line, call me, call me anytime. I think that's what Blondie said, and that's very relevant to your backup guests. Okay, we'll <laughs> say okay with that. The pop reference is lost on me, of course. But I will say thank you very much, Chris, for sending that in. That is awesome. And to all our other listeners, if you happen to have a How I Saved My Podcast story, we will take it. We will play it on the air. I will read it in my professional reading voice, or we will play the video if you happen to give us a video, and you can get it to us via email at podcast at betterpodcasting.com. You can send us a tweet to at betterpod and arrange a transfer of the file, or you can hit us up at the Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord, so we can share your experience with the class and we can all be better podcasters. If you're a longtime listener to this show, you probably know that Stargate Pioneer and I have a bit of a habit of collecting gear. In fact, we end every year by talking about the gear that we've collected and purchases we made over the past year. We enjoy doing this for several, several reasons, and part of that is experience. Part of it's for our education so that we can talk about it on this show and with others. And some of it is just straight up for our amusement because we like to do things like that. However, we're also very, very clear with our belief that we believe that in order to do a quality podcast, you don't need excessive gear or hardware. We often say that all you really need to get started is an Audio-Technica AT2005, an ATR2100, or a Samson Q2U. Those are usually our go-to recommended starter microphones because they're easy, they sound pretty good, and they offer a few different features. 
But here's the thing. As podcasters sometimes get a little bit more comfortable with their podcast and their setup, they might find they have a desire to tweak their microphone and their setup otherwise and essentially try to evolve their podcast further through the means of gear and buying gear. At least that's their belief. Now, if you do want to go down this upgrade path, you may have a gut instinct that you need to go out and buy yourself a new microphone. After all, your microphone's what you talk into. And if you've only, quote, only got, I'll make sure to throw that quote in there, an AT2005. Yes, I've heard people say that before. I disagree with the way that they phrase that, but that's what some people say. You might think, well, I need to get myself a new microphone and upgrade my podcast setup with other hardware as such in order to support the new microphone and outfit my studio quite different. Well, today we want to talk about how you don't necessarily need to go down that route in order to change things a little bit with your show. We want to talk about some ways that if you're having that hankering for a new podcast sound or evolve that podcast sound or change that or enhance that, how you can do this without buying new gear. The bulk of this is going to talk about the actual audio recording process because that's where we see a lot of people start off with. It's a lot of times when they're wanting to upgrade their gear, they start off because they want to do something with the actual audio recording process. So let's go ahead and kick it off there, SP. We're just going to start with your microphone. That's a great way to start. Steven just gave a great lead in towards it. And what you can you do for your microphone without necessarily having to upgrade it. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is equalization, aka EQ. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. The EQ or equalization is one of the things that often drives people towards wanting new microphone is they don't like the sound of their current microphone. Some people hear a certain sound on another microphone and think that's the only way to get a different sound. Well, the thing to remember is that all microphones have a certain way that they present different frequencies, which means that you may be able to get a similar sound by using the equalization to process your track. Now, while we believe that you will never match it perfectly, one microphone cannot just look and sound like another microphone. There are a lot of differences in the physical hardware that lead to that. So we're not going to get into that, but you might find yourself breathing new life into your microphone by EQing or using equalization in post-production. You're going to have to experiment with the settings. You're not an audio engineer. I certainly wasn't when I started and Steven wasn't either. He's done more tinkering on equalization than I have. But if you're tinkerers like both of us are, it can be a fun project in of itself. You can discover all sorts of new sounds that you can create with not only your voice, but your guest voice and your co-host voice, depending on who you've recorded through the different uses of equalization. Now, it's going to take some time to get used to it, but you can start tinkering with it and eventually get a good enough sound in a month or two as you progress through it. You don't even have to publish the equalized process tracks. You just need to experiment with them as you go along and see what they sound like as you progress. Now, Stephen, there's another similar thing to EQ, but it's a little different. It's called compression. So why don't we talk about that? Yeah, because another way that you can make your sound a little bit different is by adding some audio compression to your track. Audio compression is essentially leveling out the audio, but what you need to know is that it's it actually has an impact on the sound itself and experimenting with how much compression you use, the taste will vary from person to person and even from microphone to microphone based off of your preference and the desired sound that you're hoping for. In fact, if there's one thing that we've learned from posting videos on YouTube to do with microphones and subjecting ourselves to the vicious, vicious comments that come from there, it's that the topic of compression is a very, very, very sore spot for some. And there's a lot of people who go to our videos and complain about there being too much compression or there not being enough, which is why when we post our videos, we always try to give a sample of what a microphone might sound with some compression, but also without, because the sound can vary quite a bit depending on what that microphone's curve essentially is. 
So definitely compression can change the microphone. In fact, I've had some podcasters who all of a sudden go and they've told me that they've added some compression to their track and now they've realized that their microphone sounds quite different and they're more fond of it. So definitely compression can change that sound of a microphone and sort of enhance it as well. In any case, whatever your personal preference is for amount of compression, you should experiment with this just like you did with the EQ. There are some free compression plugins available. Look at some expansion plugins as well. They operate very similar. Uh, people will argue with me for making that comment, but bottom line, they operate fairly similar for your, your net results. And just experiment, but know that a little sometimes goes a long way. So don't hit that too hard and over compress right away because you might look back on it in six months and go, why? Why did I do that? We're six years later, too, like I did <laughs> with the first episode of Starling Tribune. Like, what the heck was I thinking? Too much bass, SP. All right, so we talked about two different things. We talked about equalization and compression. There are other plugins that you can use in post-processing, too. And the, the two that we just mentioned are intended to be used as plugins during your editing process. Now, what plugins are is their software that are essentially digitally manipulating your audio through your digital audio workstation or, or workplace or whatever you want to call it, DAW. And they go into the track or into the overall project and they tweak the audio to make it sound a little bit differently, a little bit louder, a little bit quieter, a little bit more bass, a little bit less bass. It just depends on what you want to do there. However, there are a ton of other plugins that you can use as well to help mold and change your sound. From the example, in the past, both Steven and I have spoken about how we use the DBX286S pre-amplifiers. They're actually digital audio processors in our hardware chain. Now, these do affect the sound for a few reasons, and we're not going to go down that rabbit hole during this episode. But when we say we use the DBX286S preamps, the name DBX is actually the manufacturer of the hardware box that we're using. It's like a Mackie mixer or a Electro Voice microphone. It's just another company. DBX is the manufacturer of that hardware box. But did you know that there is actually a plugin out there that was made to emulate the DBX 160, which is another piece of DBX hardware. It's essentially a one channel compressor. This is just an example on how there is a variety of different plugins that could help you move towards that achievement that you want without changing hardware, without spending a lot of money. Now, will some of these cost you money? Yes, absolutely they will. But will they cost you less money than a new microphone if you wait for the right sale? Yeah, likely. There's some tremendous plugin sales out there every year. Are there free plugins like compressors and EQs that are available? Absolutely. You might want to try some, see if they give you the sound that you want, and then see if you want to implement them. Or if you want to try something else, some other plugin out doing the same thing. Generally, if I find something that works for me on the various DAWs that I use, I just go with that plugin rather than having to work into another thing. Now, Steven, on the other hand, you probably got about 25 different compressor plugins, don't you? No comment. Another thing that you might want to do if you're looking to enhance your sound is to confirm the position of your microphone and your delivery into said microphone. The reason that you can sometimes achieve a different sound or maybe maximize your sound by experimenting with these positions of your microphone is because there are some variances depending on how you're using that microphone. There are definitely microphones like the RE320 where overall the position of yourself in relation to that microphone doesn't make much of a difference. And the reason why is because the RE320 is pretty good at minimizing what's called the proximity effect. The proximity effect is essentially the way that a microphone sounds differently depending on your proximity to said microphone. And for many, many microphones out there, there is definitely a proximity effect. If you're feeling that your voice is sounding a little bit too boomy, you might want to check if you're right up on close on it and back up a little bit. Or on the other hand, if you get up really close to the microphone and see, I'm trying to do the sample, it's not going to work because I have no bass in my voice. 
But if you get up really close to a microphone generally and lower down your delivery a little bit, it can also change that sound. So think a little bit about what you're trying to achieve. And if you're not achieving that, look at how you're using your microphone. Because I know a lot of people who have commented before that they're not ha happy with their microphone. And then they look at how they're using it and they're using it several feet away. And all of a sudden they realize, okay, well, I'm losing the quality of my microphone. With any of these situations, it's important to remember that if you are adjusting your position with the microphone, there is probably going to be some downsides that you need to be aware of. For example, getting too close to that microphone, you're going to have more plosives or getting away. You might have more room noise. Just remember, if you are going to adjust your position, be aware that there could be some challenges that you're introducing as such. Another thing we're going to talk about, and this is going to cost a little bit of money, but probably not as much as a new microphone, is a pop filter. Both Stephen and I are using a pop filter on our microphones tonight. So if you want to slip on over to the YouTube video, gunnageek.com slash YouTube or youtube.com slash gunnageek, they probably both work. Go ahead and fill in and see the fact that we are using pop filters. Pop filters can actually greatly help your audio by helping to mitigate, not eliminate, but mitigate explosives and force you to speak a little bit farther away from the microphone. So there's no way the way that my pop filter is affixed to my microphone that I can get my lips directly on the microphone. So I'm always going to have that standoff distance from the microphone. And that's going to help minimize the plosive sound that comes out of my mouth, that the P, the big puff of air that comes out of my mouth. It's also with bees and a few other sounds as well. It just mitig helps mitigates that huff or and it ends up being a bass sound like underneath uh, 200 megahertz and you get rid of that and your audio sounds a lot more normalized you get those big booms when you're listening in your car with the bass all the way up on your equalization in your car pop filters come in variety of shapes and sizes uh, but you can get a generic one for as little as five bucks maybe twenty dollars us depends on what your actual specific application is so it's not a lot of money but it is some money I happen to use a custom pop filter for my Electro Voice RE320, and it was made by BSW Warehouse. It's an exclusive that they have, and it works great for this microphone. If you're a longtime listener of Better Podcasting, you've also seen me use a pop filter, the same pop filter, well, not the same one, but the same type of pop filter on my Rode Procaster to try to get a better fit for the plosives on that. So it depends on what microphone that you have via what pop filter you can actually use. Steven actually has made a few of his own pop filters over the year. Matter of fact, he's using a custom pop filter right now. The, the filter itself is about the same, the exact same filter that I have in front of me, but because his wasn't made to mount to his microphone, he had to jury rig a application to make it work. We both lament the fact that other microphones don't have the same good quality of pop filter that the RE320 has. So you, Stephen, got away with getting something for virtually no money because it was equipment that you already had around you. But you also, in your, back in the day when you first started, you actually created your own first pop filter. I did, yeah. I uh, went down to the dollar store, got some pantyhose, went to Walmart. Oh, shouldn't say brand names, but I did. Uh, I got a embroidery ring, put the two of them together, went into the closet, got a piece of wire coat hanger and made it all work. I was, uh, oh, nearly 11 years ago now. <laughs> so depending on your microphone, if you're looking for a custom mount pop filter like I have, it might cost you a little bit more. But I enjoy it because it's right there on the microphone the entire time. It's not disassociated from the setup too much. Like it's not attached to my boom arm and I have to worry about moving that around all the time as well. So for me, it was worth the money to go ahead and get this. But if you don't have a lot of money, I mean, just having a pop filter is better than no pop filter at all. I would readily recommend them. Also, not all pop filters are created equal. Now, Pop filters versus windscreens. You've often seen that little foam windscreen over microphones that we've used on Better Podcasting too. They can affect the sound as well. And generally, a thicker material may make it sound a little less crisp as you're using the microphone, and the thinner material will 
a little bit more natural, but you're going to let more of those plosives in. So it's a give and take on plosives. Also, microphone positioning, as Stephen was saying before, can help you a lot with your plosives. So that's one way that you can do to minimize this pop filters. There's also another cheap alternative that you can help increase the sound quality as well. Yes, because a lot of times when I hear people considering buying a new microphone, they go, well, you know what? Uh, there's a lot of lot of noise coming into my microphone i'm hearing me type i'm hearing the occasional bang when i bang my desk or just when you know the neighbor downstairs does anything i think a better microphone might might solve that problem well have you considered do you own yourself a shock mount yet because shock mounts are something that can help alleviate some of these concerns because a lot of times the way that that sound is coming in is actually through the arm or whatever it is that your microphone is being held by. Don't get me started on handholding. That's a whole other situation. But put a shock mount onto your microphone and that can help alleviate some of these desk banks. They help take out the knocks and the booms and they can vary in price depending on the microphone and the level that you're wanting to go with. On the road, SPNI travel with the on-stage My325 shock mount that runs about 15 bucks US and is one that works relatively okay. But there are other shock mounts available that you can spend a little bit more money. Again, this is costing you a bit of money, but hopefully not as much as a brand new microphone, which by the way, you probably still will have these desk bang issues if they don't have a shock mount with them. Just to give you an idea though, when you do get into the larger microphones, you are looking at things like the Electro Voice 309A, which is for like the EV microphones, which are about 100 bucks US. You've got the AT8484 for the mic that I use, the BP40, again, 100 bucks. And the Rode PSM1, about 50 bucks. So just to give you an idea, if you are looking for a shock mount for your bigger microphone, it might cost you a little bit more than $15 for that one that you could get for your standard handheld microphone. The only thing that I will warn you of if you're thinking about getting a shock mount and you use like the Q2U or the ATR2100 or the AT2005 is they are a little thicker of microphones. So some of the very, very, very cheap ones will not physically fit the microphone. And if they do, you're shoving it in there, which basically nulls the whole purpose of the shock mount. I actually ran into that with a, uh, a version of one that I see a lot of people, a generic one that a lot of people say that they use didn't work with my AT2005. Yeah, but in the end, we both think that shock marks are, are worth it. Shock mounts are worth it. Even they, if they only take out a few dB of that contact that you're having, either with the desk, the microphone stand, or whatever. And since Steven just mentioned the microphones that have a thicker diameter, the Audio-Technica AT2005, the ATR2100, or the Samsung Q2U, while we're talking about those, We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that a microphone with a built-in USB can have a different sound through USB than it does using the XLR connection if it has both of the connections, which those microphones that I just listed and Steven is holding up his ATR2100 right now, you can clearly see on the video that they both have. We're actually talking about this right now at this point because the mics we recommend usually have a variance in the sound between the two so if you have an audio interface a mixer or a hardware recorder or are thinking of an upgrade path that brings you into getting one of those eventually perhaps you want to try that before you upgrade your actual microphone yeah i did a comparison video between the knox podcast microphone which isn't available anymore the atr 2100 and the at 2005 one of the things i made sure i did is I did all three microphones, I recorded all three microphones with USB and then XLR to show the difference between the two. And yes, there was a difference. And heck, if it's in the plan to get an audio interface or a hardware recorder later, you might as well start there versus getting another microphone. Because if your current microphone actually supports XLR, it's going to be the upgrade path that you use anyway. It's a little bit more expensive to do that but I think you'll find that the sound improvement from USB to XLR is going to be a lot better and it's going to be worth it. So why don't you go ahead and do that? Another thing that we should mention, since we're talking about all of these ways that you can enhance your setup in order to make it a little bit better at minimal cost or 
at uh, minimal inconvenience is inconveniencing yourself a little bit by suffering for your art. A lot of people do have a desire to switch their microphone just to help alleviate some changes that they think are going to happen like noise rejection and you know other things that they've got going on that they're not happy with in their microphone and so they're like well let's go ahead and do an upgrade because i can see that this microphone has better off-axis noise rejection well have you considered that if you got some noise coming in why don't you just sweat a little bit like if you're not doing a video show throw yourself in a blanket for or in a closet or turn off your air conditioning unit or your heater, these sort of things. And it can save you a little bit of money, especially if you're doing your podcast in little sessions, then you end up uh, not suffering for too long of a time. Ultimately, the room noise can affect your sound. So you want to do whatever you can to help reduce it. Even if you have a microphone that is doing a better job at rejecting that noise, it's still probably there somewhere. And before we get to our video section, yes, we have a video section. Uh, well, how do you want to go ahead and wrap up this audio section here, SB? Well, uh, let's just talk about the obvious thing here that's been woven through all of our points, but we definitely want to highlight it here. Be okay with not having to do everything in a live type situation or fashion. Yeah, a lot of time people think about buying gear because they want to be able to push a button or have a device that makes things happen right away, instantaneously recording them. However, if you're willing to do some things in software, you'll find it can save you money, a lot of money, actually. For example, not doing live audio bumpers, etc. I, I actually had to step up my entire setup in order to do live bumpers, and that cost me several hundred dollars because I got a a soundboard. I got a, a more enhanced mixer to do that. I, I mean, it was hundreds of dollars when I stepped up my production to basically do what we're doing here a little bit simpler, but actually recording multiple tracks, playing bumps and stuff like that. It does cost a little bit of money. However, if you're willing to do some things in the software later, that can save you the money. And having this mindset can go a lot of long way in helping you avoid buying gear remember quote i'll fix it in post quote now we kind of joke about that from time to time here on better podcasting but that actually can happen and it can save you a lot of money it's a little extra time in post but you'll sound just the same in the end all right so i mentioned it a second ago yes we have not forgot about you video folks because we do recognize there are some people who check out the show who do like to do video companions to their podcast and they're looking to jazz up their image a little bit. And so they think about investing in physical set decoration. Yes, that's what I did when I started getting into video. I'll admit that. SP did that as well. Uh, I literally built a four foot wide by six foot tall structure backdrop. If you haven't checked out the video show in order to do this. And uh, since then, I've invested in lights and a whole bunch of other things. And just to frame how crazy I am and how inconvenient this is. It, of course, took me several days to build and get it all together. And now that I've got it built, I always have to constantly be putting it away so I can use my office regularly and then wheel it on back for a show and then put it back away again when it's not podcast time. And so it takes up a good chunk of the room. It blocks the closet that's in here. And again, to frame how crazy I am, no matter what the situation is, what time of the year it is, I basically have standing permission from my wife to go ahead and spend a little bit of money to build an alternative should I want to that might be more convenient for me because she wants it out of the room eventually. So just to give you an idea, that's what I did and how I was crazy. But you don't need to be crazy if you're thinking about doing that because there are some other solutions that you might want to start with first especially with some of the products that are now available. And one of these things that some people have used fairly effectively is a green screen. Yes, there are many, many video show users out there who use green screens and quite honestly, it look very, very cheesy. There's a variety of reasons they look cheesy. I won't go into them right now, but I could break it all down for you. But 
there are ways to effectively use a green screen, which will help reduce the footprint that is being taken up in your space. And yes, it'll cost you a bit of money, but it's a lot cheaper generally than going and doing something crazy like I did. So definitely keep that in mind. There are tools that can help you green screen easily. If you've got editing software that might have it built in because you're doing video, you probably have editing software or should be investing in editing software. There are some live tools as well, which can help you capture that image in a raw form with green screen, like open broadcast uh, system, I think it is OBS. They'll be able to help you with that or XSplit like what we're doing as well. But just be prepared. One of the ways you're going to help alleviate that cheesy factor is invest a little bit of money into lighting because an evenly lit green screen will look a lot, lot better, as I said a lot twice, than one that is poorly lit. So I just heard you mention, Stephen, that your wife has given you go ahead to construct your man cave in the backyard with a full pool table, a hot tub, and a podcast studio, and everything else that you want to throw in there. I think you're on your way to having that man cave. So that's good. <laughs> Another way you can make your production look a little bit better is by coupling it with some on-screen graphics if you happen to be doing video. If you do live, you'll need to use something like Steven mentioned with OBS, but you can always do this in your editor, in your video editor, if you're not doing live. And we recently heard that a lot of you aren't doing live, which is okay. Even a few things like a contact bar, a watermark with either a podcast or your network or a slightly produced intro or outro can go a long way. In fact, if you pay attention to any video shows that you think, wow, this seems really well produced, pay attention to the on-screen elements. They'll usually be a key to seeing how well produced the show actually is. And a common trend is that they use on-screen elements to add a little extra flavor to their show or point out some things specific on the show that they're not doing verbally. I think it's all great. Now, Stephen, I will admit, Stephen does a lot better job on this than I do. I haven't had the time to spend to enhance my graphics on my shows, but I'm looking forward to doing that in the latter half of this year, at least with Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we'll see what I come up with. And as you can see on the screen right now for your audio listeners, Stephen just threw up the contact bar with my name and my contact information on it. And there's lots of things that he can do with the XSplit software that he is using. I also have XSplit, I also use OBS. So those are the things that will add a little enhancement to your video show that might not necessarily be cheap, but it will enhance it without buying that next new $1,500 camera. Because trust me, these cameras nowadays are getting expensive. They're, they're both cheap and expensive. It depends on what you want to do with the camera. So actually, now that we're talking about cameras, let's talk about an easy path to upgrade that. Yeah, because if you are using a video camera at some point, you should consider what camera you're using, because if you're not using something like a Logitech C920 or a Logitech C922, the reason you hear those mentioned all the time is because they actually look pretty darn good. And so, yes, you'll be spending a little bit of money on those, but it does go a long way rather than having to go and think that you need to invest in some DSLR system or some big, massive video camera. Uh, something like that might might work just fine for you. But if you are using something like that and you're like, ah, oh, this, this video really doesn't look good, look at your lighting. Because having better lighting really makes a difference with these cameras. We've seen that ourselves firsthand and we've had people ask, well, why is your picture so clear? It doesn't look like mine. And a lot of it comes down to the lighting. And if you ever go into the manual settings of the Logitech, you'll start to see it gets grainy when it is a darker picture. It definitely, if you're well lit, does make your camera look a lot better. So we want to know what are some low cost ideas that you've executed or have or are considering to help enhance your podcasting setup. Get in touch with us through any of the ways you can go ahead and find us on Facebook, which is over at facebook.com slash better podcasting. You can go ahead and tweet us at gonna geek or send us an email to podcast at betterpodcasting.com. We'd love to have an audio or video clip from you so that we can share it in the future. 
Welcome to this week's Better Podcasting Download. Stargate Pioneer. I, Please, uh, Stephen, call me SP. I admitted a little while ago that sometimes on the GunnaGeek.com show, I'm, I'm not exactly truthful and I rag on Apple a little harder than I, I truly am at heart. And one of the reasons why is because there are some pretty good apps that are developed for iOS specifically. There are some iOS exclusive apps, and one of them is one that you have talked about briefly on this show that had an update, right? Yeah. So actually, I've got it up on my iPad right now. It is the Backpack Studio, which was the replacement for Boss Jock Studio. And I know you can't really see it in the camera, but that middle white box if you're watching the video, it says new in Backpack 1.3, live stream to Shoutcast and Icecast. Visit settings to learn more. Play next pad when finished. Button in the pad editor to create automated playlists on the fly. So Backpack Studio 1.3 is up. The guys at Backpack Studio said that they were going to do some spiral developments with this app, and I'm so glad to see the next one come out of live streaming. I don't think I'm going to use it myself because I use Spreaker for my live streaming, but we're going to go into a little bit about what Backpack Studios sent out. They sent out an email, there was a tweet that I saw, and then there was a spot on their website as well. So let's go over the email that I received, and it said, live streaming, we are pleased to announce the availability of live streaming, the number one most requested feature, as voted on by our users as an in-app purchase. To celebrate, both Backpack and Studio and the in-app purchase are half off, but unfortunately, that deal is expired now because it was for the next 24 hours, which was about a day ago. So that deal is no longer valid, but it was half off to begin with. Also new in Backpack 1.3 is streaming connects to both Shoutcast and Icecast servers and supports, supports all popular streaming formats, MP3, OGG, Orbids, ACC, AAC and AAC plus and bit rates up to 320 kilobits per second mono and stereo. The autoplay next pad, as I just described, there's a new voiceover feature. There's new visual feedback to let you know which play pages have played with the sound pads. There's bug fixes incorporated that in an in improved settings screen and tutorial. I just want to take a note to say in Twitter, here was their tweet. And their Twitter account, by the way, is at Backpack underscore studio. They said Backpack Studio 1.3 is live. Stream live to Icecast, Shoutcast. While podcasting is in high quality, this was number one most requested feature voted on by users. Thanks to all of the testers. We're half off for the next day, which is expired to celebrate. And then there was a link to their app on the uh, Apple Store. And... I have some screenshots in our notes of what I took. The, the second screenshot, which I, I wasn't able to show you on my camera because it was washed out, said that this is $4.99 one-time in-app purchase. Okay, so $4.99 to enable the feature in Backpack Studio, but then you have to go ahead and buy a live streaming service. And they listed four on their website. Here this dot at shout cheap.com and live 365 and airtime.pro. Here's the deal. Here this, it's free, but it only for 500 megabits per week. And the rate that I use streaming, I'm going to be well above that. And then there is a 499. I think it's euros is the denomination use per month premium. And you can get this at here, this dot at slash premium. So $4.99 a month, that's not too bad. And shoutcheap.com is a bunch of different tiers. $4.95 for 32 kilobits per second, $5.95 for 64 kilobits per second, and $9.95 for 96 kilobits per second. Live 365 starts at $59 a month. Starts at $59 a month, ouch. And Airtime.pro starts at $9.95 a month, but only for 10 listeners at 64 kilobits per second. If you want to go up to the next tier, and there's tiers after that, but the next tier is $39.95 for 400 listeners and 128 kilobits per second. I think most hobbyists can do 
with the $39.95. I will tell you that with the Spreaker $19.95 plan, you can do all of that. Uh, you get great quality. You have unlimited listeners. And there's storage in each one of those plans, too, that you're looking at as well. And I, it's just going to have to be a give and take on whether you want to audio stream your show or if you want to video stream it to something like YouTube. And we did a little poll on our Twitter account in the last day and a half, and we'll get into that in a second. For the YouTube videos, Stephen has put up the little graphic for the live streaming and this was the second screen that came up on my iPhone as I updated the app and it shows $4.99 there and some of the things that it has listed that it has updated. So I applaud Backpack Studio for continuing to develop this premium app that they have. It is worth the price, even at full price, in my opinion, for it. I love the soundboard. That's mainly what I do with it as I use the soundboard, but I have used the record feature in the past, even on an airplane. I've did that before. That was, uh, I can't remember. I think it was episode 12 of Better Podcasting. <laughs> I also used a, a Zoom H5, but I used the Boss Jock Studio at the time. I would use Backpack Studio now. So yeah, this is an incredible feature. You always have a recorder and now a streamer with you at any time. I, I do enjoy it and I think it's worth the money. Steven, what do you think as a non-iOS user? You know what? I would absolutely buy this if it was available on Android or if I even had an iOS device. Uh, one day I will scrape the money together to actually get the iPad that's not a Gen 1 into my household because that's been on the to buy list for a very, very long time. And at that point, I'll buy it, uh, assuming that it works fine on the tablet, because I'm pretty sure it's compatible with all all the iPads, right? Oh, yeah, I've got an iPad mini two, an iPad yeah. mini four, I think. They just came out with a new iPad, which I heard is great. I think Bandrew from Podcast Stage actually has one of those. I am looking forward to buying one of those at some point in time when I no longer have kids in college. Yeah, so I, I definitely would. I think that it's a, a handy app to have on hand in case you need to use that. Wow, I said handy app to have on hand. It's really odd. So if you've used this app at all, or you're sad like me that you're an Android user and don't have this, don't worry, we have other reasons we should be happy. Uh, please get in touch with us through any of the ways. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And if you've used this live streaming function, let us know as well, especially if you want SP to use this live streaming function all the time. We want to hear him podcast 24-7 all the time because he's got the app. Might as well. You're going to hear a lot of snoring about a third of the time. That's okay. Okay. So you remember back in December and January when we were helping you try to develop a goal, just one goal for 2019 to improve your show. I did. I wanted to say so a lot less and Stephen wanted to enunciate a little bit more. Those were two of the goals that we brought forward. And we asked other people what their goals were at the time. And then a couple of months ago, we asked our listeners, how are you doing after the first quarter? It's all almost halfway through the year, but we did get a few responses. We'll go over them over the next week or so here. And we got a email from Jonathan Bloom. And he said, I think I emailed about filler words and confidence. I have absolutely seen my confidence grow and I'm using less filler words. Mostly I still need to keep working on it, but I can already hear a difference in how I come across on podcasts. Thank you very much, Jonathan Bloom. Jonathan, thank you very much for sending that in. We appreciate it. And we are glad that we were able to help you modify your podcast and your speaking a little bit to get better behind the microphone. If you have a update about one of your goals that you set for 2019, please get in touch with us through any of the ways we would absolutely love to hear a follow up like Jonathan sent to us. We also ran a poll this past week on our Twitter. A Stargate Pioneer ran it. I will definitely admit that. And he had said, when you record your hashtag podcast, do you A, live stream audio only, B, live stream video only, C, live stream audio and video, or D, I do not live stream. 
Okay, these are really weird results. I'll go ahead and say it right now because we had taken up the back. We had 3% say they live stream video only. I think there was some misconception on option two and three with the live stream video only and the live stream audio and video. I think people were thinking, oh, you're showing video, but you're not showing any sound. Well, that's not the case. If you're live streaming video, obviously you're doing audio as well. I was talking about separate audio, like we were just talking about with the Backpack Studio app or the Spreaker app where we're able just to do audio only. So there might have been some confusion there. However, I think overall the percentages play out something here. So yeah, live stream video only, only 3% of our listeners that responded within the past couple of days said they they only do video. Which I will admit that I would never have selected that because I also would have interpreted it as... Uh... <laughs> as uh, no audio that's why i thought it was weird yeah and and then we we would choose would be live stream audio and video because between my speaker and your video that's what we do or on legends of shield or starling tribune we do the same thing so we'd be be there too eight percent was the third option chosen with live stream audio only and then 10 percent said live stream audio and video. But here's the thing. I didn't realize this. Most of our audience do not live stream. 79% said, I do not live stream. Now we know a bunch of live streamers because we go to their shows, they come to our shows, that sort of thing. But in truth, podcasting is still podcasting where you record offline and then you upload the show later. And then that is the show. It is time delayed content. SP, I'm going to ask you to describe for the audio listener what I'm doing right now. So Steven right now is getting up and he's clapping. Ah, he's I, giving a round of applause. Because I go nuts with technical issues with that are completely to do with live streaming. So I think that you are saving yourself tons of headache. I love live streaming. I really enjoy it. It tickles me in all the right spots because I really, really have a history in my life that has really steered me towards live streaming. Like it goes way before I ever did podcasting. And I have to say that I enjoy it, but I don't recommend it because there are all sorts of issues that come with it. So again, I gave you a standing round of applause for saying no to live streaming. You are saving yourself hours and days of headaches. So kudos to you for that. Kudos indeed, indeed, indeed. We also had a note from Joshua Liston on Discord, and he said, in the latest Better Podcasting release, the guys mentioned me returning to audition from Audacity for post-production. One major thing I forgot to mention was that audition is compliant with all the Apple trackpad gestures, swipe to scrub, pinch to zoom, etc. And Audacity for the Mac is not which once you're used to interacting with an audio file that way, it's really annoying to not have access to those gestures anymore. And that's something that we did not consider when we were responding to him. However, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. We did say Audacity is a much more bare bone. I listened to the episode. It's much more bare bones audio editor than anything else out there right now. It is free. So that's why a lot of people use it. But other DAWs might be better. And now, of course, Audition is what, $30 a month right now? I forget what the Canadian version is. I think it's $30 a month American. So it's a lot of money. It is, most definitely. And let's give Josh Liston the final discussion of the night as well, because he had another piece of feedback that we thought was really relevant to people here listening to the show. And he was talking about the headphones, the Sony MDR7506s, which, by the way, SP does own a pair and did use to edit for a very long time. Josh says an underrated aspect of the Sony MDR7506 design is the cable isolation. I'm continuously getting distra distracted by cable rustle and rumble when I use either the ATH-M40X or the AKG-K72s. Obviously, the cable sound doesn't impact the recorded sound at all, but I'd prefer not to have any extra noise in my cans other than the noise in the signal itself. Conclusion. There's hundreds of things I'd love to see Sony improve in regard to the build quality of the MDR7506s, but the cable isolation is one thing they got right. 
And what he's referring to is when the cable physically moves, he finds that it doesn't really get heard through the headphones on the 7506s, but he does often hear it on the ATH M40Xs. And I'll say that, you know, um, I did hear it on the HTH M40Xs. Uh, it did it bug me? No. Uh, I heard it on the Shure SRH440s. Honestly, a little bit less, but I still hear it. Uh, I don't have the 7506s to compare to, so I, I, I can't really speak to it might be due to the fact that they were manufactured using materials that were more robust. And we talked about this before, like 150 episodes ago when we went into headphones. The Sony MDR 7506 have been quote unquote industry standard, whoever actually termed that or whatever, for decades now. So they've been around for a while and they are made a little bit more robustly, less plastic than other headphones are today. Now I'm wearing the Shure SRH 840s right now, and I've never had an issue with the cable noise on these either. Now these are ostensibly $200 headphones. So I would assume that they would be made a little bit more robustly, but I've heard cable rustle issues with other things before. It doesn't bother me because I'm not focused on it, but I could see if it was somebody's tick that they would hear it and be like, ah, I, I can't hear the audio clear enough. So I get it. So yeah, go with what works for you. And if the Sony MDR 7506s work for you, Josh, go ahead and do it. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Shures are available in your area, but you might want to try the Shures as well. Yeah, I'll say I'm putting on my Shure SRH440s right now. And the way that I end up just solving things is uh, I love it because they got the detachable cable. So when it's rustling, I just... I just turn it and I disconnect and oh. Well, you can still hear because you have what? your IEMs Sorry. in. No, Are don't even try that. Yes, I, I, I am. I can't hear you, SBR. This speaking? is such a bad <laughs> joke. <laughs> it is. So if you have something that you want to comment on with the headphones or you want to go ahead and tell me that my jokes are terrible, you should really do that. Uh, get in touch with us through any of the ways you can reach us at better pod on twitter or just head on over to betterpodcasting.com but we'd also love to see you on our discord server we've had a lot of people coming into the discord server and admittedly not everybody sticks around because not always their cup of tea it's it's a lot to chat with people but we have had a lot of people sticking too and a lot of people coming from this very show so if you want to chat with a lot of fellow better podcast listeners and viewers please head on over to betterpodcasting.com slash discord I have had it in the standard copy-paste template that I use for the show notes every week uh, with the link in there. So please head on over to betterpodcasting.com if you were looking for that link. Stargate Pioneer, before we close, I just want to take a moment here to remind everybody we're part of the Gunna Geek Network. Are you familiar with the Gunna Geek Network? I am familiar with it. It's run by this guy who doesn't pay anything. Putting on my headphones, disconnecting the cable. Sorry, I can't hear you, SP. What? Uh, well, that's good because you're not the best network owner anyway. But the <laughs> GunnaGeek.com network is a fun place to be for hobbyists that want to combine together like-minded people to promote each other's shows and to really, you know, as Chris said at the beginning of the episode, sometimes you can... Dip into the talent pool and and help you out with an episode or so. I don't think that's what Chris did, but he could have done that. He could have posted on the on the uh, Discord server or any of the private network chats and said, "Hey, look, I'm I'm looking for a guest. What do you got?" Usually, people pop up for that, and it's it's just a great network. So if you have a show and you want to join the network, the link is gunnageek.com/slash/join. You can fill out a form. You can look at the form, see if it's what you want to do and see if it's going to fit your show. And then we're going to take a look at your show and see if it's going to fit the network. So gunnageek.com slash join is where the form is. So for episode number 185 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying now that I'm enunciating better, I think I need a new goal. And I think that new goal is going to be get a new co-host and i'm sp about to have some free wednesday nights see y'all next week bye bye
Thank you for listening to another episode of Better Podcasting. We want to hear from you. You can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. If you like the show, please consider giving us a five-star review in iTunes. We encourage you to check out all of the other geeky podcasts available at gunnageeknetwork.com. This has been a Gunna Geek production. Thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week.